You are listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown six pass touchdown of the game. day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we have some catching up to do. We're going to drop the podcast on Sunday afternoon here for you guys to give you a head start heading into the week. We're going to take this week to keep you getting introduced to all the newest members of your Miami Dolphins. Today, we're doing the skill players. Braxton Berrios and Eric Saubert. We'll have Malik Reed. We'll have Deshaun Elliott. We'll have Dan Feeney and Jake Bailey on a future episode here. But today, we're covering Saubert, Berrios, as well as the introduction Jalen Ramsey press conference, almost said podcast. We'll do all of that and the latest news and notes from around the National Football League from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. So I mentioned the Malik Reed acquisition we heard about over the weekend. That is, of course, a reported signing. We will get to that on a future episode once it becomes official. But man, his tape is very good. His production in this defense under this defensive coordinator is VV good. I cannot wait to break down his tape for y'all when that becomes official. Also just saw across the wire, Laramie Tunzel is once again the highest paid left tackle in the history of the National Football League. Good for him as moves have been coming and going really fast and furious here over the weekend. Mike Gesicki winds up in New England with the Patriots uh, on a, I think a one year, four and a half million dollar deal. So they get both Gesicki and Parker, two guys that fit really with the previous quarterback, in my opinion, not as much here with the current iteration of the Miami Dolphins. So that's some some news around the league. Let's go ahead and get into what is a fun time of year, man. Free agency seems to get picked clean faster and faster each year, but don't get that twisted. There are plenty of quality players in the second tier, second phase, second window, whatever you call it, in this free agency period of the calendar, and there's bargains out there to be had. I know that first sentence tends to get fans antsy about the perceived needs. I've heard all the tweets about right tackle and whatever your you know opinions are of that position, but I say the same thing every year. Can we wait until August before we start to think about what the 53-man roster might look like? The draft still is more than a month away. Like, let's chill a little bit because last August, I remember last year, there was full-fledged panic, and then they dropped Teron Armstead on you, and then they dropped Tyreek Hill on you in pretty short order. Didn't you feel pretty silly after calling for Chris Greer's head after four hours of free agency? And then he goes and gets the best receiver in the NFL and arguably the best left tackle in the NFL. I mean, that's two all pro type of players. And it wasn't immediately 
in the free agency window. So just keep that in mind. On top of that, uh, March Madness, what a fun opening weekend that was. Opening day in baseball with the World Baseball Classic going on is less than two weeks away. The Masters coming up. This is the best time of year for sports outside of the regular football game schedule that September through early February mark. This is the best time, in my opinion. Before we get into the newest wide receiver and tight end, Braxton Berrios and Eric Saubert for your Miami Dolphins, just wanted to give you a programming update here and kind of talk about, I guess, where I've been. Uh, so admittedly, this is the first free agency, and my boss told me, you've done more episodes last week than you do in a regular week in the offseason. Like, no one's going to know you were gone. I just want to be transparent about why we're a little bit later on these than I typically have been in the past. Uh, this is the first free agency. Um, it's been tough on your boy. I, I always say that your job, especially if you're lucky enough like I am, that your job is also your passion or your hobby or something that you would do for free. I did it for free for a long time and and for 20 bucks a month for a long time. I always say there's lots of times that that's kind of where you find your sense of purpose, right? And I've been doing this, covering this team on a daily basis since the 2016 season. When we sign a player, it makes my skin crawl to not get to my computer and plug in the All-22 immediately. It makes me antsy. A funny story about that. Last summer, the late, great Jason Jenkins took our social department out for a dinner in Brickell. I'm sure you uh, South Florida residents know this place. at a top-shelf place called Sexy Fish uh, down there in the heart of Brickell. I had submitted my podcast that day for training camp a little before dinner. The approval and, and uh, edits got put brought back, and it was good to go. And on my email notification, I saw it when we were getting sitting down for drinks. And he knew, Jason knew this about me, he knew that sitting on a podcast that was ready to go gave me the most anxious feeling imaginable. So he said, it's killing you, isn't it? Go ahead and go out to your car, fire up that hot spot and publish the podcast. Now, luckily, I was able to reach out to one of our great admins, the great Barbara Oguntola, who works on the website, and she was able to log in and publish it for me. So I didn't have to miss that dinner. But Jason knew that uh, if there's Dolphins news to be talked about to to be put into the universe, I want to do it. So I tell you all this to let you know that I was on paternity leave on Thursday and Friday. My wife went back to work for the first time since before Cameron was born about four months ago. And since her leave expired two days before spring break, next man up and next man up in this situation was daddy. So didn't really have a chance to work on the podcast Thursday, Friday, uh, spent the weekend doing that, uh, watching Braxton Berrios and Eric Saubert. We'll do the exact same thing with Elliot Malik Reed. Uh, Jake Bailey and Dan Feeney coming up here. I'm telling you this because that's why we are a few days behind these signings. And again, we were going to get to them eventually anyways, but I don't know if you've ever tried to work while watching a three-month-old, but I promise you that working in a creative environment, a creative role, is about the hardest thing you can do because uh, ideas flow, he interrupts, and the product suffers because to me, like you have to be inspired, you have to be in a certain frame of mind to be able to create quality content. And I just am not like that when uh, interrupted every 20 minutes. So I was very happy with the Ramsey white and long episodes. Thought they were some of the best work we've done here. If you haven't checked those out, go back and give them a run. Our guests we interviewed were fantastic. Jordan Rodrigue, Rhett Bryan, and Antoine Staley. But now here I am cranking out some tape on a Saturday morning to get you some analysis on the Monday podcast. Let's go ahead and get into those players. Braxton Berrios and Eric Sauber. Berrios, I think we start with his return game because he's been one of the best in the business since he came into the NFL. The receiving production has not been great, but he's 
a role player in that role and a big role he has or he fulfills is the return game. And that was one area that the Dolphins were really not great in last year. Just never got it going. I thought Cedric Wilson had a nice rhythm late in the year, finding his groove in that department, but that obviously wasn't what he was signed for. I just kind of fell into that role. But Berrios, that is what he does. He has 21 punt returns a year ago. It was 18th most in the NFL. His 240 return yards were 14th best among returners who averaged at least one per game, 17 returns. His 11 11.4 average was sixth best in the NFL. He also brought kickoffs out at the one of the highest rates in the NFL, tied for the seventh most kickoff returns with 26. Mostert actually had 25. And I will never try to determine the depth chart here in March. We can talk about what we believe we have in the roster in terms of strengths and, and uh, positional value. But if Berrios can take that duty off of Mostert's plate, Man, give me Raheem a bigger workload in the running game, or in the offense, I should say, and let Braxton Berrios do the returning. That just makes sense to me. I think that Mostert's going to get even better as a runner in this offense. So taking away those 25 reps and giving it to him on offense, to me, makes sense because you get better in the return game and your running back position is better with more Raheem Mostert. So I think that bodes well for the offense without losing any production in the return game. In fact, you improve because Mostert was 20.1 yards per kickoff return last year and Berrios was 23.1. His 600 yards on kickoff returns for Berrios was ninth best in the NFL, and his average was eighth best among the qualifying kickoff returners. And a fun fact, because I clicked on this category on Pro Football Reference, did you know the Dolphins had the top two players in terms of all-purpose yards among players who returned a punt or kickoff? Now, Tyreek Hill had two returns for negative four yards, which is funny to me, uh, but he had 1,795 all-purpose yards, and Raheem Mostert was second with 1,595 all-purpose yards. So back to Berrios, that's been his game, man, since he came into the NFL as a sixth-round draft pick to who else besides the New England Patriots? He is the, he fits the Patriots to a T. He's not or he's now three quarters of the way through the AFC East. He played for the Patriots and Jets, and he'll obviously know Buffalo as well, now being a Miami Dolphin back where it all began for him. So what makes a good returner? And that's kind of where I look at the film here for Berrios that really translates between special teams and the offensive side of the football. Make the first man miss, set up your blocking, and friggin' go. No hesitation. He who hesitates is lost in the return game, and Berrios doesn't do that, and you see that in his game as a wide receiver also. He averaged 5.1 yards after the catch last year, uh, and that was a career low, a really good career low at 5.3 in 01, 5.8 in 2020, and 14.5 in 2019, but that was on six receptions, and it should be noted that a player that catches the football where he does typically has a bigger yak because he catches a lot of balls behind the line of scrimmage, but that tells you about his strength. He's quick in a phone booth. That produces a frequent first tackler missing. In fact, 448 of his 1,085 receiving yards, what is that? It's a little less than 50% uh, are before the catch. That means 637% are after the catch. And look at me, I did the math here. That's 59% of his yardage is on Yak, which is a way bigger chunk than what Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle had last year, but they are so damn good at pushing up, you know, 15 yards down the field. Just different style of players, but that, to me, creates chances for those guys. We'll talk about that here in just one second. Not to mention for Berrios, back to the point, that he had 19 rushes for a buck 60 and four touchdowns. That's a touchdown every 4.75 carries. He also had nine first downs on those 19 runs. That's really good, and you see 
you kind of see that role that he fulfills in the offense. He's extremely valuable as the motion man. He led the Jets last year in pre-snap motion by more than 15%. You always move Berrios back and forth across the formation. They got him moving parallel to the line of scrimmage, threw him now routes, which is catch, rock, throw, threw him screens and swings and speed outs and, and uh, uh, tunnel screens coming back to the formation. And then he's just a punt returner from there. I know we typically talk about the speed of a waddle or a hill in those spots, but man, it's very, very nice to be able to manufacture yardage and manipulate the down and distance when you get behind the sticks or even on first and 10. Like this offense thrived on like second and threes last year. So let's say you are first and 10, or let's say it's second and 12 after a negative run. It's so nice to be able to just stand up and throw the ball to a shifty player who doesn't have the attention of 10 or 17 and typically has to make one man miss to spring a nice gain to then navigate those crowded pockets and move the pile forward. And what I mean by that in manipulation of the down distance, again, you lose two yards on first down, you maybe you get... BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. A favorable look where it's like, oh, Berrios is one-on-one and then we have our blocker to the strength over there. I mean, it's Alec Ingold. We can just stand up, throw the ball to Braxton Berrios. He breaks a tackle and now all of a sudden it's third and five after, you know, we lost two yards on first down. That skill set translates to short yardage conversions as well. Let's say we're in 11 personnel. That's three receivers, right? One tight end, one back, Tyreek, Jalen, Braxton Berrios. Let's say it's third and three for the sake of this argument. Tyreek, Jalen, and Braxton line up. Who do you think is getting single coverage there? It's not 10 and it's not 17. So go to one of the shiftiest players in the game in a three-yard box. And by the way, you have a three-way go. What's that called? An inside leverage, outside leverage, possibility of a takeoff as far as where you're responsible for. No help. Three-way goes are tough to cover, especially against a player that has the shiftiness of Braxton Berrios. It's probably why he has this in his corner. Sample size is small, but he's been throwing 13 passes over his career in third or fourth down and short. And the Jets converted eight of those of 13 for first downs. That's a first down rate of 62%. What's the Jets third and short rating average for their whole team over that same time span? 48.3%. So nearly 14 percentage points better on average when going to Berrios compared to everybody else. In his career, 51 first downs on 107 catches. Uh, He's got 107 for 1,085 and five touchdowns. Again, he's a role player. Uh, Averages 10.1 yards per catch, 6.6 per target, and a drop rate of just 5%. That's six drops compared to 107 uh, in the catch department. The advanced numbers, the best one to me is 1.57 yards per route ran. That's a great figure for a metric that's pretty damn reliable in charting receiver performance. And again, for your you know third, fourth, maybe even fifth receiver who's kind of a spot duty guy, it's a great number. Tyreek led the NFL last year. He's a unicorn. That number was 307. Not something you should aspire for. If you want to be really good, two is a good number for literally anybody. But a good comparison here, like Christian Kirk, who had a really good year for the Jaguars, 1.75 for him. So Berrios productive in that role that he was asked to perform. He aligned in the slot 70% of the time. That's typically where you're going to find him. Out wide 26% of the time. And then elsewhere, backfield in line 
uh, 4% of the time. He's played 1,567 career snaps on offense and special teams. He's forced eight career missed tackles as a wide receiver, two as a runner. That's 10 on 129 touches. Again, he makes guys miss a lot. He also just brings a certain level of grit, which is a, 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 a word that I don't typically use in this podcast, but he defines it. 12 of 20 in contested catches for a guy who's five foot nine. It's really good. He's tough. He'll do the dirty work and he'll be a great teammate. Tyreek Hill's pretty fired up about the addition. Uh, you can see why he called Wes Welker 2.0. Tyreek's a little more uh, bullish on that than I am, but hey, why not? Quick separators inside are only going to help Cheetah and Penguin do their thing. Fun competition in that wide receiver room. We know about 1A and 1B, but Berrios gives you some more value there. I'm super high on Eric Ezukama. River Craycraft is back, baby. Go Cougs. Uh, we'll see about Cedric Wilson here in year two. And then whoever else can step up, whether it's new additions, Braylon Sanders, Freddie Swain. Fun position to watch in camp, especially against those two cornerbacks, three cornerbacks, Kater Kohu on the other side. All right, that's Berrios. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back on the other side and do Eric Saubert's breakdown. Pretty pumped on the first four games of his that I watched. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Part two of a film study breakdown skill players, my favorite positions to watch. We added another newcomer over the last few days at a skill group spot, and that is Broncos or former Broncos tight end Eric Saubert. This guy's played around the league quite a bit. This is a player you probably haven't heard a ton about, but to me, he's really intriguing on tape from the physical attributes that he offers. If you think about it, it's the first veteran we've acquired under John Embry at the tight end position. Tanner Connor was the only newcomer in the room last year, and Embry got pretty fired up talking about his room at various points last year. So I'm I'm thinking Eric Saubert has a chance to really kind of carve out a role in this offense. And at the risk of highlight scouting, there's a touchdown that he scored against the Texans last year where I think you can kind of extrapolate that as far as what you can see his potential being, because it's an example of what you get with him. And frankly, it's a ball thrown by Russell Wilson that Tua really excels with. So they go unbalanced 12 personnel. That means you have one back, two tight ends, two receivers, and your two tight ends unbalanced means they're on the same side of the formation, the heavier side of the formation, right? A clear strength declaration, both tight ends attached to the same side of the line. Then they run four verts, which is one of the most popular route concepts. Four verticals, take the defense, the top off, and typically you have a back who comes underneath for the check down in case your pass pro is good and coverage is good. But uh, in this particular instance, when you run that, you cannot cap every route, which means no help on every route. So Saubert, obviously, going to be the one that catches that single coverage, kind of like we talked about earlier with Braxton Berrios. You need guys that can beat single coverage when you have Tyreek and Jalen because you're going to get it all game long. And this is on a Texans linebacker. So... That's a matchup where if I'm the quarterback breaking the pocket, hey, pretty athletic tight end against a linebacker who can't run as fast as him might be something I look at. And so you see Saubert on this play, stack the the linebacker, which means put him on the back, don't let him be over the top, elevate for a pass and pull it in. And you also pick up the functional strength, which is the next part of his game that stands out to me, the contact balance. The linebacker tries to reroute him beyond five yards, which is a foul, by the way, didn't get called. And he fights it off without slowing his pace or drifting up the stem. Recall the uh, 2018 podcast, Locked on Dolphins, talking about Mike Gesicki back then. That functional strength and getting bounced off the route was a big problem. He improved it over his career, but that was like 
you can't play if you can't do that. And Saubert really, really excels in that regard. And again, Tua loves throwing that exact ball, that little touch fade at the back of the end zone where he just kind of pops it with that, that wrist flick that he has. And Tua has big, strong hands that he allows him to really put tight spirals and, and good touch throws in those spots. He damn near completed the one he threw to Jalen Waddle in the Baltimore game just before the game-winning touchdown. That's the kind of play we're talking about here. So Saubert has these massive hands, and you can see it on this catch. It reminded me of why they'd throw these balls to Gronk, and like even though it looked like it wasn't going to get caught because there was just too much traffic, he just found a way to haul it in because he has freaking oven mitts for hands. So the tail of the tape is that Gronk has 10 and 3 quarter inch hands. Eric Saubert is the next closest measurement, 10 and 5 8 inches. Those are two things that you can glean from that one snap. Massive hands, which also helps in blocking, right? Grip strength, attaching the guys better. But also, how about this? Like, he's got green marks in every RAS category, just about those. The, the relative athletic scorecard that measures shiftiness, explosiveness, suddenness, all that stuff. But think about that. A tight end who has the biggest hands in this year's draft class of anybody besides Darnell Washington, if he were a part of it, also from Drake, earns his invite to the Shrine Bowl, does so well there that he gets the Senior Bowl on invite, and then winds up being one of the 19 tight ends going to the Combine, and from there, a 7.66 relative athletic scorecard. That was 160th out of 680 tight ends to that date from 1987, good year, my birth year, to 2017. So a 30-year stretch, the top, uh, I don't know math, 160 out of 680, that's the number. Uh, His percentiles are as follows among tight ends. For the former fifth-round draft pick out of Drake, uh, his height was the 69th percentile, nice. Uh, Weight was 58th percentile. So he's not massive, but he's a little bit bigger than your average tight end. But here's where the numbers pop. 40-yard dash, 81st percentile, great. 20-split, 80th. 10-split, 80th. Awesome. Bench press, 76, that functional strength. That's not a great measure of strength, but eh, we'll use it. Vertical jump, 60th. And then broad jump, 89th percentile among all tight ends. That broad jump and 10 split paired with the strength that he's displayed on his tape and at the bench press. What does McDaniel always say about this offense? We prioritize firing off the football, and that's what Saubert does, man. He's quick to eat up yards in a hurry. It, it, it plays in the red zone big time, not to mention he's a good blocker that allows you to play with your tendencies. He's not a tight end you put in the game. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And automatically know, all right, this is a pass because that guy can't block, right? Or the converse. It's a run because that guy can't pass receive. See where we're going here? There was another touchdown he scored that I thought offers immense value in an area of the field that you just don't see that often, but executing there can be the difference in winning and losing down in the low red zone. You might run four plays in the low red zone, but they'll be the four most important plays you run in a given game. So this one is third and goal from the two. Broncos dial up 23 personnel. Everyone that's big, get your ass in the game. Two backs, three tight ends, no receivers. They sneak Saubert out to the corner, and he's open. 
but Bridgewater had pressure and has to avoid the rush first, which he does. So you see Saubert work to space, keep his eyes on the quarterback, find a window, and gives Teddy his target uh, right at the sideline and makes the catch. It's back in 2021, obviously. But he can flat out roll with the ball in his hands. I mentioned that functional strength as a route runner on tape. It translates in the way tacklers bounce off this guy. Let's actually look at the data there, and then we'll go ahead and get to his run block and pass pro game. So he's played 1,035 career snaps on offense, 421 of those as a receiver, 83 in pass pro, but 531 in run block. So really, that's a 50-50 split in terms of What's 83 plus 421? Actually, I can do that one. That's 504 compared to 531 run blocks. So a little more run block heavy, but not by much. His alignment, 28% slot, 7% wide. So he does flex out about 35% of the time, which gives you 65% attached to the line of scrimmage. Uh, Averages 0.71 yards per route ran. That's a not a great number. One for three uncontested catches, or one for six, I should say, uncontested catches. I'm surprised that's that low. It has to get better. And then a career six yards uh, average depth of target. I think there are two things to Saubert's game that makes him not just an adequate blocker, but someone that I think you can count on to win his assignment as one of the keys working against the force defender or climbing to cut off that scraping linebacker. We're talking about not just getting your blocks set up at the first line, or the first wave, the first level of defense, but get into that second level, and that's where the explosive plays come into play. He does a really good job of engaging, but also being able to detach and get off those blocks. I'm just so impressed with his balance through contact. A lot of the time you see a smaller player, and he's not smaller, but 253, again, it's like 55th percentile in terms of tight end size standards. It's actually right in the middle. But for a guy that's not some hulking run game exclusive player, he has a really smooth ability to attach and then disengage to work up to that next level. Lots of times you see tight ends try to disengage off that spot and they don't have the uh, fundamentals or just the footwork to put themselves in position to stay on balance and go make an effective block at the second level. We've had that issue here for a long time. I think his footwork in the blocking game is fantastic. His balance will, I think give you the best run blocker you have on the roster currently today that I expect more to come to the roster, but today I would take Saubert over anybody. I think that's where his entire game centers the balance, both as a mover off the snap, but also through contact, be it with the football in his hands as a runner in leaning on a, uh, you know, defender generating leverage in the blocking game or running routes through those reroute attempts. His counting stats in his career, 33 grabs, 280 yards, two tutties. That's on 52 targets, 5.4 yards per target, 8.5 per catch. Again, these none of these blow you away, but situational football, he's a guy you think about. He has a 63.5% catch rate and 51% of his receiving yards come after the catch. He can roll a little bit. And I think from watching him, he's very a very quality asset that you insert in those roles, specific situations. Like, I think he'll help your short yardage game a lot, which Miami was bottom in the NFL last year. Him and Berrios, I think, could give you some help there. And if they see it the way I do with he and Berrios, clearly that's an emphasis because, frankly, that's just one of the areas Miami was not very good on on offense last year. Like, that, if they improve that, they'll go from sixth to first in the NFL offense next year. That's that's just how I see it. And I think you also get a guy that's probably going to be part of your core special teams. I think you can trust him with chipping and helping your tackles Uh, on the game's premier rushers, I think he can handle some guys in one-on-one situations, especially with how quickly this quarterback gets the football out of his hands. To be frank about it, 
I just think you can trust him to not fold up immediately and produce a pressure that gets your quarterback whacked. I think he can do some of the pre-snap movement across the formation the way uh, you'll see Alec Ingold or even Durham Smythe come across to help dig guys out of that backside. I'm really curious to see how you work with him and Ingold as part of that equation because I think they both excel in that regard. And again, he's been a, a reserve special teams guy his entire career and to me has the look of an ideal tight end too. So hopefully a big time tight end one's coming, but we'll see about that. But we'll find out what role he winds up coming in August. Back to his special teams, a career 1,284 snaps on teams. PFF has him with 12 tackles. Six of those were last year where he had a career high 323 special team snaps. That earned him a special teams grade of 83, which ranked 14th in the NFL. So I can see how both Coach Embry and Coach Crossman wanted this guy on the roster. These are the kinds of signings that don't hit the marquee. But man, they can be valuable. We talked with Benjamin Solak of The Ringer back at the Combine talking about filling in the margins. You've built your cornerstones, which is great. The margins is the easier part. A guy like Saubert, to me, is part of that equation. 50% of the snaps, and we increase our third down numbers, you know, and goal-to-go numbers with him in the game. That would be a massive acquisition to not break the bank and get better in those two critical, critical areas of the game. That's what I see watching this player and for posterity, four for five, converting in those short yard situations, uh, third and fourth or goal, or third and fourth or sh- in short or goal to go situations. So there you go. Barrios and Sobert. We'll do, th- uh, I'm not sure. We'll do a couple more of the guys tomorrow. We'll have more podcasts for you this week, breaking down all of the newest free agents here in Miami. Let's go ahead and finish up this uh, podcast, almost had a press conference, with the Jalen Ramsey press conference and the highlights from that from last week. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. So I was not able to catch the Jalen Ramsey press conference in person because, like I mentioned, was on leave. Uh, didn't like that, but... Sometimes you got to make do with what you got. So let's go ahead and play some of the highlights here from the Ramsey press conference, working a little bit from behind again. So let's go ahead and jump into that. First thing, I start with his opener because I think it displays both his confidence and a word that we like to use around here, the standard. And Ramsey's only going to help you enforce the standard that we saw established like by veterans like Tyreek Hill. I still have not seen anything like an NFL practice with Tyreek Hill. He does it better than anybody else. But Ramsey gives you some of that on the other side as well. I like how he says here, being great on paper doesn't do anything. You have to prove it. But here he is talking about the Miami Dolphins secondary and whether or not they can be one of the best in the NFL. Not the defense. He was asked about the secondary in particular. Here is Miami's star cornerback. I believe so. That's just the the type of energy I bring. That's the confidence that I always have. Um, On paper, you know, this is the best group that I've been a part of. And I, I feel like I've been a part of some good groups, you know, in Jacksonville and also in LA, but on paper, I feel like this is the best one. Uh, Obviously with me and X on the outside, and then you got the young guys, Uh, you you got Javon, Um, we just got Deshaun Elliott, uh, Brandon, Cater. So I think we we have a good secondary on paper if you look at it, but we got to put the work in and um, I mean, we can speak it as much as we want to, but we're gonna have to go out there and prove it. And that's what we're planning to do. But uh, it's not just about us, you know. It's a whole defense and a whole team. I think we can do something special if we put that work in and be uh, be as one. Sure do like the way he answered that. We saw Ramsey expressing his gratitude on social media before landing with the Miami Dolphins. Why did he want Miami? Let's go back to number five. I think to number five. A lot of reasons. Um, 
I mean, he just he just made me answer one, this, this defense, this secondary. Uh, you look at it on paper, it's something that you would definitely want to be a part of. I know I'm not the only person who wanted to be a part of it and will want to be a part of it in the future. Uh, being back in Florida, that's a great thing for me, closer to my family. Uh, you know, my pops, he about to retire. He going to move down here. He going to enjoy life. Um, obviously, I got my daughters and my kids that we, we love the warm weather. Um, that's always a plus. Taxes, that's a plus, right? Um, you know, it's a good young team on the on the up and up. I feel like I can bring something to help them. Um, you know, just be another piece to that puzzle here. And uh, yeah, it was a lot that went into me thinking about, you know, Miami and uh, a lot of praying that went into it. You know, mom and grandma praying over me, but. Super excited. I didn't. I didn't necessarily think like, oh, I'll be traded. But once it kind of started to be reality, um, you know, me and my team, we sat down and we we kind of wrote pros and cons of situ of different situations going on, and we um, we wrote down teams and pros and cons, like which teams may be in need of a corner, which teams may be interested, which teams do I like as well, which teams um, will I fit, you know, whatever they got going on, and. I remember writing down Miami, and Miami stayed at the top of my list from the jump. So, um, yeah, then I just started praying about it, and it all started to visualize for me. So I'm ready. I hope I hope it, it was, you know, it's everything that I dreamed of and prayed about, and I'm sure it is, so I'm excited. I mean, who wouldn't want to be here? Next, he was asked about his role in this defense. I have to imagine this question came as a product of listening to our Jordan Rodriguez episode. Just don't think this question gets asked without hearing that first. Very similar scheme, so that's a blessing. Um, I might have to learn like some new terminology and how he names things and stuff like that, but I'm, I'm very familiar with the scheme, love the scheme. Um, it's different ways to play it, right? Um, and that just depends on how the flow of our team and, and exactly what he want me to do. But because I have that versatility, I can do whatever that he asks me. If, if, if he want me an X to lock up the outside, that's what we're going to do, and then they're going to do their job everywhere else. If he want me to move around a little bit, go in a nickel, go in a dime, blitz, you know, cover tight ends, run it, whatever it is, I'll be able to do all of it. Um, I think everybody know that though. Like y'all know me. Like y'all know y'all know how I get down. Y'all know what I do. So being able to bring that in this in this uh, to this defense and this secondary gonna be cool for sure. I really think that Ramsey's presence is going to force a lot more balls into covered windows by Xavier Howard, by Javon Holland, by Cater Kohu. And to me, that's like the true value is that he will force the football to more talented players across the formation opposed to last year when we had so many injuries, the ball was going at players that were, you know, our fifth, sixth and seventh cornerbacks up uh, next man up mentality. Let's go ahead and finish up here. He was asked about his first impression of coach Mike McDaniel. Always a good answer here. He cool. He cool. Co Coach cool. Coach different. He he cool. He be chilling. He um young, like got got some energy about him. You know what I'm saying? Say what's on his mind when he wants to. We can have just like real conversations. It don't feel like a player talking to my coach. It, it kind of feel like oh, this is my homie a little bit, um, which is which is dope. Like you know he had a, the authority, but it, that's a dope dynamic to have with your coach. Um, he keeps telling me. He's going to be the best head coach I ever had. That's a little, you know, he nudging Sean on that a little bit because Sean was great in L.A. Um, 
hey, but I, you know, it's, it's gonna be tough because Sean, Sean, the man. But I believe him though, um, and I'm gonna hold him to that. It's been a, but it's been cool, man. He, he's real chill, real fun, real cool. So I'm excited, and I know, and I know all the guys speak very highly of him too. So there you go. To watch that press conference in its entirety, head over to our YouTube channel. We'll also have some fun content with all the guys coming your way here soon. That is going to be my time, though. We'll come back tomorrow. Again, not sure exactly who I'm going to have uh, as far as breakdowns. Deshaun Elliott, can't wait to watch his tape. Dan Feeney, Jake Bailey, Malik Reed. I believe we'll have some media availabilities with you with these guys for you all at some point for the third show this week, perhaps. Toying with the idea of doing a mailbag as well. I'll do a roster review episode, I think, next week. We have plenty of content coming your way here in the meantime. That's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice. They have Rashad Jones coming up. They have Zach Thomas coming up. You do not want to miss any of those episodes. Plus, again, the team YouTube channel for media availabilities. Dolphins Today, Drive Time and Fish Tank content. Uh, Plenty more on there. And also, last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron, Daddy's coming home.